This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Guys, you know we always try to turn you on to the best podcasts out there. So let me tell you about the latest true crime podcast that I've been binging, Morning Cup of Murder. You remember those desktop calendars that would tell you about what happened on that day in history? Well, Morning Cup of Murder took that idea and turned it into a daily podcast that now has over 750 episodes that dive into serial killers, cults, cold cases, murders, and more. Morning Cup of Murder is the best way to start your day off because each episode is less than 10 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to while having that first cup of coffee or tea in the morning, whatever your preference. Morning Cup of Murder can be heard everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Check out Morning Cup of Murder today. Make sure to leave them a review, and in that review, let them know that you heard about them on Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 253 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Guys, we have a, a uh, interesting episode tonight, one I've actually been looking at for a long time, so I'm excited to finally get to it. Last week's episode... We've gotten a, a lot of good reviews on. We've had a lot of people write us, and we even had a police officer send me a message right after they got released and said, hey, I've got a story I'll share with you. I don't know. How cool so is that? I recorded that, and we'll get that on the air here uh, in the next couple of weeks. But first, we want to thank all of our military and civil service workers out there. Thank all of you for everything you do to keep us safe and to give us our freedoms every single day. Amen. You guys stay safe out there and continue prayers coming your way. We love y'all. Tracy, this group is not a sponsor, but I really do like what they stand for, Till Valhalla. I posted a couple of links in the group, but they sell various different types of t-shirts that are all military-related, and uh, either PTSD or uh, suicide, anti-suicide. Like, I got a shirt the other day, it's got the number 22 on it, and it says underneath it's for the 22 military personnel that commit suicide every single day yeah so the money some of this money goes to actually help different uh, uh facets of the charities that help these things so yes um, um anyway i just thought i'd bring that up because i got my shirt the other day and i really liked it yeah kristen ordered one too and mm-hmm. i love it but with that being said that's a a segue into the fact of we do have 22 members of our military that commit suicide every single day and countless numbers of just regular society that does the same thing times are tough for a lot of people we want you to know that you do not have to end your life that is not the only answer sometimes it may seem that way but trust me been there i know it's not and we just want you to know that you've got people you can talk to to help help you kind of work your way through some of these situations you can contact tracy or myself you can uh, be a member of our group. If you're not a member, I would suggest if you need support in life for any facet, please join our group on uh, Facebook. And there's 5,000 people on there at any point in time ready to give you any support you might need. 
that is very true we are all here for you guys so please reach out to us um, if you would rather call the hotline it's 1-800-273-8255 you can also text at 741-741 you guys are not alone please please reach out if you need to talk absolutely also I want to point out that this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce it is the number one habanero based hot sauce in the United States top 10 of all hot sauces we absolutely love it. We had a, a cookout last night, had some friends over, and uh, we introduced them to El Yucateco. Yes. And uh, and a part of that is because El Yucateco is nice and sent us a whole bunch of little sample bottles. I know. Isn't that, that great? That it's we really were, nice we of them. we were able to hand out. You can get your El Yucateco at most major grocery stores. And if they don't have it, you can go to elyucateco.com, and you can order uh, merchandise such as shirts, bottle openers, ball caps. Yeah, their merchandise is pretty nice. Yep, all kinds of hot sauce. Mm-hmm. They got seven different flavors to choose from. Get it, and uh, you're going to put in the code Hillbilly Horror, and you're going to save 10% on your total purchase. There you go, folks. So stock up. All right, Tracy, let's get in to this episode. If you are a Patreon supporter, you know that we just did a story. Uh, a couple weeks ago or last week really on haunted schools mm-hmm. some of those were colleges some of them were high schools but we we did tell you guys that we were going to do this episode and it's been mentioned a few times so it's probably not going to be a surprise we are doing El Paso High School sounds great I can't wait yeah obviously most haunted when you throw that term around it's kind of up for debate you know, like you'll say the most haunted city or the most haunted town or mm-hmm. the most haunted sanitarium. Everybody's got the, you know, it's all up for different interpretations. Everybody's got a viewpoint on it. I personally believe that El Paso High School in, in El Paso, Texas, is the most haunted school in the country. Really? Just by all the stories that I've seen and all that stuff. And obviously for a school to have so many hauntings, it probably has a lot of history. And trust me. It does have a lot of history. (laughs) That part is definitely a fact. El Paso High School is the oldest operating high school in the city. Oh, when did it start? Do you know? It was built in 1916, and it sits on a mountainside at the foot of the Franklin Mountains. Oh, that sounds nice. This place is absolutely gorgeous. It overlooks the central part of the city and its boundary with Mexico. Mm -hmm. So when you're sitting on the school, you can actually look into Mexico. Oh my gosh, how fun. Yeah. It stands out prominently on the horizon, earning it the nickname of the Lady on the Hill. Oh, so, I really like that. Yeah, and like I said, the school is absolutely beautiful. You'll, we'll post some pictures in the, on the pages. So okay. I say that, we probably won't, but <gasps> you'll just have to Google El Patnov. No, <laughs> I was going to say, don't say that. I forget all the time to put, post the pictures. I used to be really good at it, and then I got really bad at it, so... Well, we must put an end to that. And so we're talking about how beautiful the school is, and it should be, because it was built in a Greco-Roman style, and it cost a half a million dollars to build this, which was a lot of money in 1916. I was going to say, yeah, that was a bunch of money back then. This school has, like, some marble floors on the inside. It's got some wooden floors on the inside. Oh, dang. It's got these beautiful columns on the outside. Like, the ground floor is actually below street level, and the school has a 12,000-seat football stadium which was one of the first major concrete stadiums built in the entire country dang that's impressive i think my school would seat three or four thousand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this one's got a twelve thousand and it was built you know 
back in like the, the 70s, I think. Anyway, incredible. So here's a unique fact about the school that I, anyway, I thought that since opening in 1916, the school has been called El Paso High School every year except one, 1922. That year, it was called Sam Houston High School. Wait, did they leave it Sam Houston High School after that? No, otherwise it wouldn't be just one year. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. But why did they do that just for one year? Well, in 1922, the Ku Klux Klan board members elected to change the name to honor their Texas hero, Sam Houston. Sam Houston was president of the Republic of Texas, and he was the governor of Texas. So they became Sam Houston High School. But the community strongly protested this. And in February 1923, the KKK were defeated in local polls, and their presence pretty much died out in El Paso, and the name was changed back to what it originally was. Well, good. It's, it's, it's the way it should be. Right. Go away, y'all. So, and, and I'm a little confused on that. I tried to do a little bit of research, but I didn't, I didn't dig deep into the Ku Klux Klan, but they almost treated it like the Klan in 1922 there was almost like a political party and not you know what i mean because it said they were defeated in the polls and they they you know how does how does the clan able to just be able to say well we're going to change the name of a high school well i don't know but so in your base so you lost they would have had to have been like almost like a political party mm-hmm. at that time there but like i said i didn't dig into it a whole lot so i'm not sure how it worked but anyway so the name changed back and everything was good there were a bunch of firsts in Texas involving the school. For example, in 1922, they were the first to offer a foreign language, which was Spanish, and they were the first to have music classes. Oh, wow. And the reason that this happened, they needed 16 credits to graduate. And in 1922, that changed to 20 credits. So in order to help out, they added classes so that students could get to the 20 classes and music and Spanish was two of the classes that were added to help that happen. Well, that's so, not bad. That's a pretty good deal. They were also the first in Texas to have a student military corps. Oh, wow. So I guess like an ROTC. Yeah, very cool. In November 17, 1980, El Paso High School was officially placed on the National Register of Historic Places. And here's another fun fact. Several scenes from the, from the 2006 movie Glory Road were filmed in that school. Hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah. Actually, and I'm surprised that you don't know this, but it actually has a lot to do with this state. Glory Road was the movie that was uh, was based on the fact that in 1966, Texas Western, which is UTEP, but was Texas Western at the time, they were the first uh, NCAA college basketball team that had an all-black starting five that won a national championship, mm-hmm. and they beat Adolph Rupp's Kentucky Wildcats. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't that. remember and that. And that's what the, the movie is based on that. Oh, cool. It's got cool. John Boyd in. It's a pretty good movie, mm-hmm. except for the ending. Where oh, Kentucky, where we lost. He loses, <laughs> but other than that, it's a good movie. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into the paranormal activity. Before we do, I want to mention that we've got special guests on the show tonight. We have Becky and Diana from Homespun Haints Podcast. And they actually tell us a couple of uh, little workers. Uh, 
Diana is she lives lives in uh, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and Diana lives down in the uh, Appalachian Mountains area. So they kind of kind of give us a two little pieces of floor, but plus they also share a couple of paranormal experiences that they've had with us. Oh, cool! So it's fun. It's a, it's a it's a good good little listen to. So and it, and it's a great podcast if you haven't listened to it. Homespun Haints. It's hard to say because I keep wanting to say hometown Haints. Oh, yeah. But it's homespun Haints. All right. Well, sounds good. You All guys right. need to check them out. So let's get into this paranormal activity. There are lots of urban legends and hauntings in the school, and it only makes sense considering the fact that this school has been around for 105 years. Mm-hmm. So when you think about how many students and teachers have come through those doors and how many of those people have passed on since those doors opened... I mean, it's kind of astronomical number. I bet it is. So some of these students would have no doubt died at an early age, whether it had been uh, maybe from auto accidents or suicide or even through war, because there's been several wars going on. And a lot of these people probably went to uh, World War II, even, you know, Korean War mm-hmm. and, and all that. Oh, I'm sure. And they would have been young coming straight out of high school. Yeah. So you could think, for most of us, high school was probably some of the best times of our years. Yes. Or of our life. And for a lot of these kids, it was probably the same if they lost their their, their life at an early age. Hmm. You know, then you could imagine they might want to come back to high school. That might be the best that it got for them if they were 21, 22 yeah, years old. Yeah, that's so true. So it would be no surprise that they would want to come back and... Uh, kind of relive maybe some of their fondest memories and several of these stories that we're going to discuss tonight are examples of just that at least in my opinion that's kind of what it shows Mm -hmm. me so if you ask around town almost everybody will tell you that el paso high school is haunted especially past students and teachers and even some current teachers in june of 2020 there was a video on Instagram, and it went viral. And what it, it looked like, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, but they do some close-ups and stuff. What it looks like is there is a figure up in the fourth-floor window. And it shows the figure, and it, like, instantly disappears. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a white line. You can see it. It's really visible. And then it just instantly, like a snap of a finger, just Boom, you gone. said like a white line or like the outline of a person? Well, it's kind of it's kind of hard to explain it because it's looking kind of from a distance. So yeah. It's hard to really say that it's a person, but it looks like something moving around mm-hmm. there. And there shouldn't have been anything out there moving around. The building was completely dark. But Wow. And I'll try to find that video and post that. Yeah, too. I'd like to see that. So that's what really piqued my interest uh, in, in doing an episode on the school. So like I said, that goes all the way back to June. That's been almost a year ago. Yeah. And, you know, there was there's always been stories about the school, so I, I was aware of it before that, but that kind of put it right in the, the front of my mind to try to do something on. So I start digging deeper, and as you do, you start finding out that there are stories involving everything from sealed-off classrooms to ghostly pep rallies and a bunch of stuff in between. As I said, some of these stories may be just kind of urban legends, but they're still associated with the school and people still talk about it and treat it as if it's real. So we'll treat it that same way. So let's talk about the sealed classrooms. This story goes back to the late nineties. It said that there was a major snowstorm in El Paso and 
they called school off, but some of the students and teachers had already gotten to school. Oh. And then they called school off, and it was snowing so bad, they, they had really stay. just stayed. Well, that sucks. Yeah, so they get bored. They decide they're going to start doing a little bit of exploring. And there's some tunnels in the basement area, and that's where they started at. And they started making their way deeper and deeper back into these tunnels. And they come across a brick wall that's kind of dilapidated. It's crumbling. It's kind of falling down. So they kind of start hitting, you know, some of the students start hitting on the bricks and the wall just falls completely down. And behind that wall is a complete classroom. I mean, desks, notebooks, even some personal belongings of students. Yes. They even found some like baby, baby Ruth candy wrappers and some soft drink bottles. So they look around, they're curious, they don't know what happened. Then they go exploring a little more, and they find another room that was sealed off. And both of these classrooms were in pristine condition. Well, that's pretty wild. Yes. So why would two classrooms be left so hastily and sealed up forever? Did something scare them off? There's never been an explanation. Now, this is a fact. I said some of this stuff's urban legends and stuff. This is a fact that those rooms were sealed off. Now, I will tell you that the the school being as old as it is, there's been several modifications made through the years, and we'll talk about that. So, I mean, yeah, maybe that was just, they, maybe they just decided we're not going to use the basement for classrooms anymore. I don't know. Yeah, but why would their personal items still be in I, there? That's that the makes part, no that's sense. That's the part that makes no sense. You're right. And we all love music, right? But what if that music was the Texas El Paso Tiger fight song and it was at 2 a.m. in the morning and you were the only one in the school? No. Probably wouldn't like it. Hey, I finally got that hair out of my mole. That's exciting. Oh, my God. I've been trying to do that for like two days now. That's exciting. Sorry. That's a triumph. (laughs) And it was great. It's a biatch. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Fight song. All right. Fight, fight, fight. So... You're crazy. What? You're just crazy. <laughs> so then, so you hear the fight song. It's 2 a.m. You're in there by yourself. Why are you in there at 2 a.m.? It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I'll tell you why later. Oh. We're going to get into it more later. But what then, if you start hearing the sound of cheering coming from the cheerleaders, and then students laughing and stamping their feet during a pep rally... In a locked, empty gym. Would that freak you out a little bit? Yes. That would have freaked me out like a whole bunch. Yeah. Maybe not as much as the hair in your mole, but... You just don't know. Toby Tovar, he's a he was a math teacher at the school, and he says that it's not unusual to hear phantom pep rallies at the school. He said that though many people think that New Orleans is the most haunted city in America, he personally believes that El Paso is the most haunted city, and that this school is the most haunted building in the city. I think he's wrong. I don't think El Paso is the... It don't even, it don't even get in the mention of most haunted places. Don't mean it's not. But. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that, that's your opinion. <laughs> Tovar says that paranormal stories go all the way back to the days of construction. 
He said there have always been numerous modifications made to the inside of the school to accommodate the growing student body and, and changing educational theories. Therefore, some of the original classrooms and hallways are no longer there. But Tovar says that it is his understanding that some of those changes were made because the spirits that haunt the school seem to have an affinity for certain parts of the school. So they just kind of block stuff off. Yeah. For example, there's a hall that leads to the balcony that has been closed off. Now, I'm I wonder not... if there was any money in those personal belongings, like their purses. You, and, and you're still back on the purse. Nobody said there was a purse there, first of all. Oh. Personal belongings could have been a box of Kleenex. It could have been anything. could have been pencils. Pencils would have been personal belongings. Oh, all right. I was just thinking. <laughs> anyway, so I'm not sure... Exactly when this hall got kind of closed off, but I'm assuming it's probably about the round of time that this story happened coming up. So there's a unique story that is, that is tied to this, and it involves a female ghost in the school. There was a student. She slit her wrists and jumped from the balcony, and this happened in 1977. Oh, that's sad. Another story that for real happened. So she jumped to her death in 1977. And even though that hallway to the balcony is no longer accessible, there is still an occasional sighting of a young girl jumping off of that balcony. Hmm. Why did she... I don't know I why. don't know. I don't know the story on that. I just don't know why she felt the, the need to slit her wrist and then jump off. Well, I guess she just she, wanted to guarantee. Maybe she slit her wrist and... It Passed wasn't out working and like it was supposed oh. to, and she just decided to go a different route. Oh. That hurts my heart. There's another young female ghost that's that's been seen there. Angelo Precluda. He was a journalist instructor there, and he took great pride in putting together, him and his students putting together a top-of-the-line yearbook. So they were working late one night. It was about 11 o'clock. He's getting ready to leave. All of his students had already left. He gets out in the hallway, and there's this young lady in a blue chiffon dress. He says that it looked like the type of dress that you would wear to prom in the maybe the 50s. Mm -hmm. He looks at the girl, and he knows she's not supposed to be in there. So he says, hey, you know, is everything okay? Yeah. And he said the girl turned, and when she did... She looked, like, extremely sad. Mm -hmm. So he starts walking towards her. And as he's walking towards her, he can see she's somewhat transparent. To put it his way, he said she looked more like a mist. Oh, wow. But he could still see her. And he see, said yeah. he also noticed that she was not standing on the ground. She was floating, floating above the ground. And as he started walking towards her... She turned and started walking towards the highway, uh, the highway, the hallway. <laughs> she starts walking towards the hallway and then she slowly dissipated and turned to nothing. Dang. That's, that is crazy. I just don't know what, I don't know. I would just like to experience that. I know I say that all the time, but it's just amazing. We've told stories on here before about people appearing in group photos that were never there. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've had a couple of different instances, sometimes military, sometimes school. One of the most popular stories at the school 
involves a young woman showing up in not one, but two pictures. Of different people? Well, it's hard to explain. They're both women in white dresses, but I don't know if they're the exact same person or not. Oh, okay. Here's what happened. You wouldn't think that this would be too strange, just having, you know, people show up in pictures. But this one is different because of the fact that it was so far apart. So the first picture was from 1916, and it was a group of people that were standing outside watching the construction of the school. The problem is the lady is wearing a white dress. She's in the picture, but everybody says she wasn't in the original picture. Mm. But somehow she's in the negatives, and nobody knows who she is, and she's just there in the picture. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. But here's the part that I like. So if you walk into the school, like most schools, they have a trophy case. In this trophy case is a picture of the 1986 graduating class. Same year I graduated. Uh Uh-huh. Everyone in the picture shows up very clear. It's a very clear picture. Everyone except one fuzzy girl in white. It looks like her picture was put in after the fact, but this was way before, you know, Photoshop or anything like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. The girl is at the end of the row that's primarily teachers, and there's two young ladies, uh, one that's like towards the left center and the other that's uh, towards the right end, who are kind of staring towards her direction, almost as if they're looking at her, but... Everybody swears after the fact that she was not there. The figure in the picture was not part of the graduating class. And no one knows that was there in that picture who the girl is or how she got into the picture because no one remembers seeing her. So maybe it was a former teacher or classmate or something. It looks like a young girl. Mm -hmm. It looks like she could have been part of the graduating class. Mm -hmm. But she's looking straight away and smiling. But I wonder if anybody in that class had passed away that year. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. Yeah, but I would have thought people would have noticed her if it was somebody that was part of their class that had passed well, away that's, earlier. That's true. That's pretty wild that like both people were looking at her like that. Yeah. All right. So we mentioned the tunnels in the basement and where their sealed off rooms were, right? Mm-hmm. The basement is extremely large, as the whole school is. This made it a perfect place to be used as an overflow morgue for several different wars and pandemics. Yikes. In the early 1900s, so many people died during the Spanish flu that the bodies had to be stored here. Now, I find this odd considering the fact that the school was still open during this time and operating. So, people, kids were in there. Why would they do that? I don't know. But I would have think that... that this would have been extremely risky because how contagious the Spanish Spanish flu it was. Right. You know, five million people died from the Spanish flu. Well, yeah. I mean, why would you suggest... Now, that's so dumb. So, I don't know. During World War II, there were so many casualties being shipped to El Paso that the bodies had to be stored in the basement until the family's next of kin could be notified. Mm. And that's just two instances where it was used as a morgue. So, we talked about the math teacher, Toby Tobar, a little bit earlier. 
He was the eighth grade basketball coach during the, the early 1980s as well. One of the years that he coached, his team went undefeated. And they were scheduled to play the only other undefeated team in El Paso. His team would usually get the uh, the gym for practice from 5 to 7 every day. So they're practicing for this big game. They're down there in the gym. The gym was directly below his classroom. So one day, they're like I said, they're in their practicing as usual. But it wouldn't turn into a usual practice by the end. Just after they had started practice, two waist-high access doors that led to the tunnels violently flew open and slammed against both sides of the wall. Mm. They assumed that it was, you know, some kind of freak draft or wind, which would have been extremely odd because that day the weather conditions were very calm and there was basically no wind at all outside. But they shut the door again and they placed a long, heavy bench in front of it to prevent this from happening again. Children went back to practicing, and right before practice wrapped up at 7 p.m., the bench went flying across the room as the doors again violently flew open. Now keep in mind, not only was that bench in front of the doors, but the doors had also been latched shut. There should have been no way for the doors to come open even being latched shut, Right, and then let alone yeah. with a bench in front of it. The group decided to leave the building, and they didn't even take the time to turn the lights off. <laughs> I don't blame them. Here's another sports-related story. This goes back to the late 1970s. The track team, led by Coach Danny McKillop, they had returned to school late one evening after a track meet in Austin, Texas. This was a track meet where they just won the state championship. All right. Imagine they're in a pretty good mood. So they needed to drop off their track equipment and pick up their personal possessions from the locker room. The school was very dark and quiet when the buses arrived. But as the students were gathering their belongings, they started to hear the school's fight song. Remember you asked, why would somebody be in there at 2 a.m.? Right. Oh. This is why they were in there at 2 a.m. They had a long bus drive drive back. Okay. And so, you know, this is why. So they're hearing the fight song. That was soon followed by cheerleaders and feet stomping and all the sounds of a pep rally coming from the second floor auditorium. Coach McKillop was confused, but he thought, hey, maybe this was a surprise reception for the track team because, hey, we did just win the state championship. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. So he ran upstairs and straight to the auditorium. Everything was in complete darkness. He could still hear the, the happy sounds of the pepper and everything until he reached for the door handle of the auditorium. Then it all just stopped. The door was locked, and there was no one inside as far as he could see through the windows. Oh God, I'd be so terrified. So the coach unlocked the door, and he went in. There was no sign that anybody had been in the auditorium anytime recently. He was now more puzzled than before. He went back to the locker room where students were waiting, and the sound started again. Coach went upstairs, and this time, most of the track team followed behind him. Again, as they reached the door, silence. And But the track team heard it? Oh, yeah. They heard they heard it the first time. And oh. now they heard it the second time, and most of the track team came with him. Coach McKillop opened the door again, and the students, 
went inside and they searched for any sign of where the noise was coming from, but they found nothing. They went back to the locker room, gathered their belongings, and left. (laughs) El Paso High School has tons of history, but it does a good job of hiding its secrets, such as the sealed classroom. Once, while making some changes to the auditorium, workers removed the steps that led to the stage. Much to their surprise, hidden in each step were one or two books. These books made up an entire set of a Catholic encyclopedia. How did these books get inside the steps? Nobody knows. Who put them there and why? Same answer. Nobody knows. Tovar said that custodians leave about 9 p.m. every night, and unless someone's working late, that huge building is deserted. Lights are out, alarms are set, and it's completely secure. But here, the restless dead walk the halls in the dark. Yikes. So there you go. There's the story of El Paso High School. Very good, man. I like it. That's just can't get over those rooms for some reason. That's just so bizarre. It is bizarre. Hmm. That's a good story, babe. No thanks. Well, hey, ain't nothing but a thing. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a uh, a quick break from a sponsor, and it's a good sponsor though. It's actually kind of murdery. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and it's a it's a really good podcast. So you guys will, will like that. And then we're gonna come back with some quick housekeeping and Diana and Becky from Homespun Hands. You're gonna like these ladies. Trust me. We want to thank everybody for listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And if you like our show, we think you're going to love this next podcast as much as we do. It's called Kinda Murdery. That's K-I-N-D-A-M-U-R-D-E-R-Y. And if you're looking for the bizarre and hilarious stories of murder, theft, mayhem, and just darn strange Americana, you should definitely listen to Kinda Murdery. Join hosts Zevin Oderberg and celebrity guests including Eric Stockland of the Relax Podcast and Good Trouble, Fran Krantz, star of Cabin in the Woods, fantastic movie. And Eric Slick, drummer for Dr. Dog and Taylor Swift, as Zevin guides you on a kind of murdery comical journey through the Mojave Desert. That's K-I-N-D-A-M-U-R-D-E-R-Y podcast. Subscribe and review today on all platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, through kindamurdery.com slash listen. That's K-I-N-D-A. M-U-R-D-E-R-Y podcast. Follow on social media at Kinda Murdery. Make sure, guys, when you leave these reviews that you tell them that Hillbilly Horror Story sent you. And as an added bonus, we will have Zevin on next week as our special guest on Hillbilly Horror Stories. All right, Tracy, I know you've got some stuff over there. I need to cover something real quick. We just released uh, the fact that we are doing our five-year anniversary show in Louisville, Kentucky, August 21st, and that is the actual five-year day. So it works out. That's also a day for my birthday. Feel free to bring gifts. And <laughs> we are excited to be joined in that uh, special event for us with the boys from Ohio. Mm-hmm. And Tom and Andrea Payne from We Drink and We Know Things. It's going to be a fun show, folks. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm sure there'll be tons of surprises. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> So tickets are on sale for that, and there's 100 tickets available, and we sold 20 the first hour that we posted mm-hmm. on Facebook. So um, I haven't um, 
I guess I need to actually post that on our website tonight. But by the time you hear this, it'll be posted on our website. The link will be there. So go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com. All of our other shows are there. Our St. Augustine show in September is almost sold out. And the same thing for the uh, St. Augustine Lighthouse Investigation. Links are there for that. And all of our other shows, Dallas, Memphis, and Galveston, and Bobby Mackey's. All those are on there, plus the cruise. Uh, you guys are killing it on the cruise. Absolutely love it. Not going to spend time on it tonight because we got a lot, of, a lot more to get into. Tracy, what you got over there? Okay, for iTunes, we have good old Mojo Lobster. And need new levels, too. Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. We so appreciate you. And then Patreons, we have Ella, John Scarcella, and Jessica Gum. Thank you guys for your support. We appreciate it more than you all ever know. So just keep those reviews coming. Absolutely. All right, let's take a few minutes and listen to Becky and Diana from Homespun Haints. Right after this quick message from June's Journey. Hey, guys, I want to take a few seconds to tell you about June's Journey. What's June's Journey? Good question. Luckily, I have all the answers. We all love good mysteries. We love watching all these television shows with murder mysteries and try to sit back and try to solve it ourselves, right? You all have your own opinions on who did it and why. Well, in June's Journey, it's a hidden object murder mystery game, and you get to be that sleuth. You get to step right into a thrilling adventure right in the heart of the Roaring Twenties. So you get to play as June Parker. Now, she's an amateur detective. She's investigating the mysterious death of her sister. This is a free-to-download mobile game, and it puts the powers of observation to the test. Not to mention your memory and your logic skills, which I definitely need help with. When it's all said and done, though, you feel completely refreshed, and you're ready to tackle life's next thrill. My biggest problem is I'm completely obsessed with this game, and I have hardly any time... (laughs) to do anything else because I'm always playing June's Journey. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to join over 30 million fans across the world that have awoken their inner detective with June's Journey. It's free to download. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your tablet. You're going to go search for hidden objects. You're going to collect some clues. And eventually, if you're good, solve the mystery. It's literally endless hours of fun and thousands of intricate scenes and new chapters every week. Here's the thing I want to talk about. The artist who did this, fantastic. What I like most about the game is the the detail that went into the backgrounds and, and everything on this. It literally is beautiful. As you scroll through, you'll see what I'm talking about. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or the Google Play. That's June's Journey on the Apple App Store, Google Play, it is free to download. Hey guys, I'm excited to have these young ladies with us tonight. I've got Diana and Becky from Homespun Haints. Welcome aboard, ladies. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. I'm very glad to have you. I've been listening to your show for a while. I think it is so fun. Love the interaction between you two. And I love it that it's it's another one of those shows that's kind of regional based. I know you guys have been kind of uh, reaching out a little bit uh, to some other areas lately, but that's what happens when your show starts growing. That's, you know, we started as supposed to be only a Southern only podcast and that lasted probably uh, five months. So <laughs> we're, we're all over the world now. So mm-hmm. uh, First of all, for, uh, we'll start off with Becky on this one. For those who have not listened to Homespun Haints, 
Tell us what the podcast is about. The podcast is a way for people who have had a personal paranormal experience to share it with the world. We're looking for people who've seen a ghost, encountered a demon, something along those lines, and we want them to tell about their experience in their own words. It's not necessarily paranormal investigators or mediums, though we do get those people on the show, but a lot of our guests are just everyday people that happen to work in a haunted office or uh, rented a haunted log cabin somewhere in the woods and have a great story to tell. And that's we, we believe that stories are scarier when they're told by the very people who experience them. So that's kind of where we got the idea. Now, I will say that there are a lot of podcasts out there that do the, the hey, come on and tell your story. Your guys' show is different, though, I, I feel, because I think the fact that you like to mix in occasional guests and the fact that you like to mix in uh, your own experiences kind of make the show different than, than the other shows. So it really is, you know, even though you have guests on, you two are the stars of your show, and I appreciate that. That makes it more fun. Thank you. <laughs> Diana, what is the thing that surprised you most about uh, reaction from listeners from your show? Now that you've been doing this for a while, uh, you've got, what, almost a year under your belt, right at about a year under your belt. So what, uh, what, what has surprised you the most from, from your listeners? Yeah, we're in season three now, so I've had lots of surprises. Um, but I honestly... When I started this podcast, Becky was the spearhead. She was the 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 person with the idea and basically said, you know, everybody's got a ghost story. I said, I'm from Oklahoma. Everybody doesn't have a ghost story. What are you talking about? And so just how many people were coming out of the woodwork going, oh, yeah, and this and this and this happened to me. And then not only that, but how many stories I personally had that I didn't even realize I had before we started this podcast that I've told on the show um, really did surprise me. It's, it's fun when they all come together and, and you realize, oh yeah, that really wasn't very normal what happened to me. <laughs> so you were from Oklahoma. Where do you live now? Oklahoma. <laughs> You're still in Oklahoma. Still in and, Oklahoma, yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Becky? So I am actually north of Atlanta, but I grew up in East Tennessee. So that's where a lot of the inspiration for the show came from, is from my roots in Appalachia and growing up with storytelling and ghost stories and things like that. I am uh, I go to the mountains quite a bit. It's very hilly here. I guess we're sort of near the foothills, um, but, uh, but that's, I call Atlanta my home just because people know where that is. Now, we, we had an opportunity to talk about this on a, a recent show that we did from North Carolina, but for those who are unfamiliar, haint is more of a regional term. Becky, tell everybody, since you're from that area, what a haint is. A haint is a ghost or a spirit that you don't want in your house. Sometimes you want them in your house. You want the nice guys that are going to, you know, help you out from time to time and make unwelcome visitors uncomfortable. But a haint is something you don't want in your house. It's It's got some bad negative vibes to it. And so that's why you might paint your porch ceiling blue or the outside of your windows or your door frames paint blue to keep them out. They don't like that color. Yeah, see that, like I said, it's a regional term, Appalachia, mm -hmm. uh, around that area. And then uh, especially the coastal part of North Carolina, that's where the term kind of originates from. So you don't hear it around a lot of the, the rest of the country, but it is a very popular term there. 
so yeah it is it is haints and boogers grew up hearing all about them (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's do this uh i'm gonna have both of you share a personal story and then uh, uh we'll talk about some some local lore from uh from your area so Let's start with uh, Becky. I'll have you start to share one of your personal stories with us. Right. Well, I'll share one from when my family went and stayed at a haunted bed and breakfast in North Carolina. We didn't know that it was haunted. We just knew it was an old building. And this is in the Appalachians. It was uh, outside of Asheville in a town called Hendersonville. It was a Victorian inn. And because there were four of us, we stayed in the attic. They put us in the attic of a building that was over a hundred years old. And they don't know the entire history of the building. At one point, it was owned by the brother of a famous outlaw in the 1800s. I'll just say that much. So one night, we had taken the kids hiking and we came back home, we came back to the hotel and I was trying to get my three-year-old son to calm down and go to sleep. And I was in this giant four-poster bed in this attic room. So it was very close to the ceiling. And my son started babbling, ba 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 not at all tired. Then he started pointing at me and he said, Mommy. And then he pointed at the ceiling and said, other mommy. He pointed back at me and said, mommy. And then he pointed at the ceiling again and said, other mommy with the rope. And of course I thought, all right, he's young. He's still seeing things. Somebody hanged herself in the attic probably a hundred years ago. I never found out too much more about it, but I made sure I did not tell my husband about it because he would have made us check out and find another hotel. And I didn't want to do that. I figured he's, she's, she's just swinging there. She's not bothering any of us. When we did check out a few days later, I went to the front desk and said, is this place haunted? And of course the lady behind the desk said, why, what did you see? I said, okay, so it is. Can you tell me more? And she said, well, there's Edgar. Edgar likes to play with the lights sometime. And yes, that did happen to us. All the lights went out one afternoon. And I didn't think anything of it. Old building, they came back on. I just figured somebody had switched the breaker somewhere or something like that. Apparently ours was the only room that was affected, though. And I said, that's okay. I met Edgar. I'm talking about the woman hanging in the attic that my son saw. And she just went white as a sheet and said, well, there's a lot of history to this building that we don't know and anything is possible. So to this day, I don't know what that was. My son is older now and he doesn't remember it. He in fact denies that it ever happened. Maybe he's blocked it out. But I like knowing that we slept under a ghost for four nights in a little bed and breakfast in North Carolina. 
So you mentioned that your husband would have made you change hotels. Is he, uh, where does he stand on this? Is he a believer? Is he not a believer? Is he scared of it? Is he not as inviting as you are of it? <laughs> well, he's not a believer, but he's also very scared of it. He's one of those. Yeah, he's even a... seen some things we saw. Uh, he, we both saw a little shadow figure in our bedroom um, in the last month or so. I saw it one night and then he saw it a few nights later. And even after seeing it, he's still like, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a trick <laughs> of the eyes, but he is scared of it. He just went back to sleep though. When he saw the shadow yes, creature, he did. looked at it, <laughs> staring at him from the foot of the bed and went back to sleep. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Diana? What give me uh, give me one of your favorite personal stories? Well, so I've had a lot of spooky experiences, but my main um, I, I want to say the only time I've really seen a full body apparition, if you know that everybody's aware of what that is, I'm sure, but um, was I was about 13, and myself and my mom were visiting our uh, my grandparents, my mom's parents, in Connecticut. And I had never really met my great grandparents. They had passed away since, uh, you know, I, when I was an infant. Um, and there weren't really any pictures of them in our house. So we, I didn't know them at all. Um, I knew my grandparents and we were staying at their house in the middle of the night. Uh, my mom and I decided to get up and have some snacks because I don't know why, but <laughs> we go to the kitchen, we raid the kitchen, we make a sandwich come back to the bedroom. My mom's leading down the hall. She turns into the bedroom where we're going to have our snacks. I come down the hall, you know, not really focused. I've got my sandwich, I'm just wandering down the hall and uh, kind of get a little disoriented for a second there because I hadn't spent a lot of time with my grandparents or in their house growing up. So I, going down this dark hall in the middle of the night, I'm looking down at my sandwich, getting excited to eat my sandwich. And I look <laughs> up and at the end of the hallway, there's a man standing in a bedroom that I haven't been in yet, glowering at me, big bulging eyes, very tough looking man, looking like he's about to punch somebody, maybe me, scared the daylights out of me. I turned to look at my mom in the bedroom over here. I turned back and there's nobody there. There never was anybody there. And it shocked me. And I, my, I come into the bedroom with my mom, white big eyes and I go, I just saw somebody, <laughs> just saw somebody in that bedroom over there. She goes, what? Um, like it's, it, I think it was a ghost. I, I don't think it was somebody who was actually there. And she said, well, and she racked her brains for about an hour trying to think of who could be haunting her parents' house. Cause she had lived there as a teenager. She knew all of all the nooks and crannies. She'd never seen a ghost there. And she was just trying to think and think and think and finally said, well, you know, it, the only person it could be would be my grandfather, but he would have no reason to stick around. I can't think of a reason he would stick around. So we just kind of left it. We went to sleep. We were tired at that point. It was like 3 a.m., um, of course. But a few years, you know, several years later, when we started this podcast, I went back to my mom and I said, do you remember that time that I saw somebody, an apparition in your parents' house? And I described to her again, the appearance of this man. And she sent me a photo of my great grandfather. That was the guy, <laughs> that was a hundred percent the guy. And it just, 
it baffled me to no end. And she's still wondering why he might've been in her parents' house and what he was doing there. I think he was just trying to see who I was and what I was doing there. So it was a little bit of a shocking, unexpected connection there. That was fun. It does sound fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've got a couple of quick questions and then we're going to end on something really fun for you ladies. Cause I I want everybody to hear how you guys interact on your show. So when we do the, uh, the folktales, stories or folklore stories i'm going to let you guys just do it like you would your show and talk to each other and we'll pretend i'm not here then people can hear you guys interact in your show and there's no rules or regulations do it however you would do so don't worry about anything you talk about it's all fair game all right question number one actually the first one's not even a question it's more of a statement becky you are a fantastic artist and i will encourage anybody listening to go follow your, your Instagram page, which is Homespun Haints, obviously. And you have multiple videos of you doing your artwork, whether it be sketching or whether it be uh, uh, painting with some watercolors and fantastic work. I think you're an awesome artist, but it's all done in that time-lapse photography where people can see it from beginning to end. And I'm completely fascinated by it. I've watched every one of them, most, most of them multiple times. And I would encourage everybody to go to your Instagram, just if nothing else, to see the artwork. It's phenomenal. Thank you. The one question I have, you're on one part of the country. You're in another part of the country, Diana. How did you two meet? (laughs) We were neighbors in Florida, one of the most haunted states we're finding. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Becky's family is from Florida. I had moved there for school. And uh, we just happened to have a neighbor that was... She had a neighbor that was a classmate of mine. So I knew Becky as our friend's cool neighbor for three years or so. And then we convinced her to move into our (laughs) apartment complex. (laughs) So I became a cool neighbor. (laughs) And we just connected over our love of spooky stuff. And we stayed in touch after we met, after we left. Awesome. Awesome. See how things just work out sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So here's the part where I'm going to turn the show over to you guys. Becky, will let you lead it off, and, uh, and uh, it's up to you. So you guys do what you do. All right. Well, Diana, I want to tell you about the hellhound that roams the banks of the Holston River in my hometown of Kingsport. Ooh. So if you are familiar with Brotherwood Mansion in Kingsport, Tennessee, it's a relatively famous mansion, and it is known for the ghost of Rowena, who wanders the banks in her white flowy gown because she is looking for her fiance who drowned in the river. But what a lot of people don't talk about is who inhabited that house after Rowena died. It was a man by the name of Joshua Phipps, and he was an evil, evil man. His neighbors hated him. In fact, he may have acquired the house by giving bad financial advice to Rowena's father. But one day, Joshua Phipps took ill. And everyone was delighted that he took ill because this was... Sorry. Oh, spooky background noise. I like it. Spooky background noise, yes. Um, I am actually recording out of a haunted location. So Joshua Phipps took ill. Now this was in the days of slavery and he was 
a terrible, terrible man, not just to his family, but of course to the people that work for him as well. And as he lay in bed sick, a young boy was required to fan him against the open window to make sure that he stayed cool. It was a summer, I think it was the summer of 1864, 1865, sometime around that time. And as the boy is fanning him, he notices this great swarm of flies coming from outside. And it just comes in through the open window, just so many flies. And they started climbing all over Joshua Phipps's face and into his mouth and into his ears, and they choked him to death. And of course, the boy, terrified, dropped the fan, ran down to get help. But when they came back, there were no flies. But Joshua Phipps was dead, his mouth open, his eyes open, a look of horror on his face. So they went to bury Joshua Phipps and the entire town showed up because they were so excited he was finally gone. He was mean to everyone. So they put his coffin on a cart and they got four strong horses to drive it to the cemetery. But what do you think happened, Diana? I have a little bit of insider knowledge, so maybe I shouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You've heard you've heard me talk about this before. But yes, the, the the cart wouldn't pull. The horses tried and tried and tried. And the wheels of the cart got stuck in the ground. And so they brought a fresh team of horses. And the same thing happened. It just got stuck. And as they're trying and trying and trying to move this casket, the sky opened up and great clouds came out and thunder and lightning. And before you know it, it's this huge, horrible storm that's coming down. And there are reports from people who were at the funeral, their grandparents, their grandchildren have passed these stories down about just how the storm came out of nowhere. And now nobody wanted to get wet. Nobody brought umbrellas. Nobody was expecting this to happen. And so a bunch of people, the pallbearers and anybody else who was strong enough, grabbed the casket and just ran with it up the hill. And they quickly tried to bury it. And the preacher said the last words, you know, very quickly, it's raining, it's pouring. And as he's talking over the casket, as the preacher's talking over the casket, the lid on the casket begins to move. And then a giant black dog jumps out of the casket and runs off. Well, the preacher's stunned. It's raining. So they just quickly bury it and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> I have heard legends that the casket was later exhumed and there was no body in it, just a few dog hairs. <laughs> and what's <laughs> especially interesting, I shared the story with some friends from my hometown recently who had never heard it. This is actually not a very commonly told story in my town. I think people want to forget about Phipps. He wasn't such a nice guy. So this friend of mine heard the story and she texted me and she said, you know, it's interesting. I have another friend that drives by that property every night on her way home from work. And she sometimes sees a black dog and she swears it has glowing red eyes sitting on the land 
watching her car go by. Did I tell you about that, Diana? No, I didn't hear that one. <laughs> yeah, so I heard this story and I thought, oh, it's just folklore and things get exaggerated, they get passed down. And then she told me that and I thought, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Phipps is still roaming the land as that massive, nasty black dog. So, Diana, road trip? Yes, absolutely. I want to see <laughs> this place. Well, you know, the, the current owner doesn't like people snooping around her property. She maintains it's not haunted. Is that Diana yeah. Ross? No, or, no. She almost no. purchased the property. She she considered purchasing it, yes. Mm. That was that was a pretty interesting thing about the town when she came to town. We were all excited because we're not even on the map. And then we had the celebrity in town talking about purchasing one of our mansions, but yeah, she decided against it. Maybe she saw the dog and she was like, no, 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 I don't need that. Apparently you can still hear him cackling through the halls of the mansion sometimes too. And he had a really horrible nasal laugh, <laughs> something like that. Frightening. Well, I had more spooky ambiance. I love it. I had never heard the part about your friend's friend driving by and seeing the glowing eyed dog. That's terrifying. Perhaps it's no, not a legend. Maybe not. I don't know. I never saw it, but as a child, I had a friend who lived across the river from this house. And we kept talking about how when we had sleepovers, I was going to sneak out of the house and, you know, hang out and try and find the ghost. And of course my friend's parents got wind of this and they were like, uh, you know, so so the story about Rowena, the first ghost I mentioned, her fiance died in that river because the the um, undertow can be so strong. And my friend's parents were like, you know how Rowena's fiance died? You don't want to go the same way. You're going to be out there and it's dark. And I mean, there's no streetlights in the country and you're going to get washed away in the river and we'll never know. And then you're going to be wandering those banks. And do you want to be wandering those banks? And I was like, no, I want to get the hell out of this town one day. <laughs> So, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so I never seen Rowena. I've never wandered the banks looking for her. But again, you know, I mean, there's the other side of the river. We could maybe make that work, Diana. Camping mm. trip or something. Yeah, I guess. Tie ourselves to a tree so we don't get washed away. There you go. Yeah. I'm from Oklahoma. People get washed away trying to uh, noodle catfish out they of the bet. river here. They, yeah, That's they it. try to, they try to literally just catch a catfish with their hand. That's then called noodling? That's, yeah, that's what that is. I guess it's an Oklahoma thing. I don't know. But yeah, they, they try and catch a catfish with their hand and then the dam opens up and at the, you know, the, <laughs> the 6 p.m. power surge when everybody comes home from work and turns on their TVs and appliances, the dam opens up to let in uh, the, the water to create the hydroelectric power. <laughs> they wash away never to be seen again. I personally don't think catfish are worth it, but. Well, I told you about the catfish in my hometown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, um, these, because it's so many man-made lakes, thank you to TVA, we have dammed lakes, and again, I'm terrified of lakes, one of the few things I'm afraid of, because I know there's like cemeteries and bodies and churches and houses and stuff underneath from when they flooded the valley, and I just kept thinking about some skeletal hand creeping up and grabbing me when I would swim in as a child, but we got, we got those massive catfish because they never stop growing and it's yeah. an artificial ecosystem and divers will go down and they will see these catfish the size of small houses mm -hmm. uh-huh 
So I wonder if you could noodle that. They have those in in Lake Keystone as well. That okay. There have been you sightings of the, the bus-sized catfish under the dam <laughs> when they were trying to repair the dam. Yeah, terrifying. Oh. Oh. Well, speaking of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. you have a pretty interesting tale from Oklahoma, I Diana. do. So when I was growing up in Oklahoma, my family was all transplants from the north. We didn't actually know any local lore in my family, so I didn't hear any stories about Tulsa when I was growing up. I left for college for about a decade, came home, and opened a business um, at, you know, between the area of town where I grew up and downtown. So I thought it was a little more posh. You know, I was thinking like, this is the nice place to open a business. This section of the the town might be growing. You know, there's some empty lots across the street. Maybe they're going to build some businesses there and we'll be a little business district and I'll be the first. So I was excited to open my business there. Um, Several times while I was remodeling, I did the remodeling work myself. Of course you did. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to spend the night there because we would work way, way into the night and then we'd have to get to work in the morning. And we were staying with some family at the time because we had just moved back to town. So we didn't want to disturb them coming in at 2 a.m., you know. So I had to spend the night in that half remodeled old building. And it was pretty darn creepy. Nothing serious ever happened there, but it was definitely very terrifying to wake up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom. I did not want to have to wander around that place at night. It was. No, oh, you, you, okay, please tell me you got a bucket and just put it by the bed. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, I'm brave. I thought you were from Oklahoma. I'm brave. <laughs> That's what we did in Tennessee. It was, it was, uh, listen, Becky, it was creepy enough that we had to hire a feng shui consultant to try and get the energy right in there so that we could have customers in there and they wouldn't be nervous. Have to use the bucket. Have to use the bucket, exactly. Um, So we hired this feng shui consultant who is a friend of mine. I trust her. Um, I don't know the first thing about feng shui, or at least I didn't at the time. And she comes in and she says, you need to put mirrors on the front of this building, outside the building. You need to put mirrors facing that way. And she points across the street to the empty lot. Now, come to find out, unbeknownst to me as a child, this lot used to have a house on it. And in 1944, the woman living in that house, Carol Ann Smith, went across the street to obtain some ration books, because this is during the the Second World War. She goes to Lee Elementary School to obtain eight ration books. And the kids in the class, they're watching this transaction, later tell their teacher, Alice, she doesn't have that many people living at her house. And Alice said, well, what about her daughter, Bonnie? And the kid said, well, she doesn't have a daughter. There's no little girl living in that house. We would know because the the playground faces the house. They could see everything from the school and from the neighborhood. They said, well, she does have a little dog named Bon Bon. And Alice starts to thinking, this is wrong. She's committing fraud. She's getting ration booklets for her dog this shouldn't be happening this is anti-american we need to turn her in and the kids go on to say well she used to have a little dog named bonbon and you know funny enough last week we saw her burying a tiny casket in the backyard (laughs) along with two women we didn't know and so alice is just appalled she reports this to police police immediately bust into the house to investigate because this is this is serious fraud, right? She's stealing wartime rations. 
they find exactly what they expected. The whole house is full of luxuries. This is 1944, and they found like 45 pairs of brand new designer shoes. So they know this woman has been cheating the system. She's about to she's about to get in big trouble for this. They're trying to look for these ration booklets so they can prove that she obtained this nefariously. They search the whole house. Everything looks nice and luxurious in stark contrast to when they go down in the basement. And it's just a bunch of crates, unheated basement, very dark, dim, dingy. I've got an Oklahoma basement, I know. They're they're dank. But in the basement, the only thing out of place was there were two 30-year-old women living there who were not related to Carol Ann at all. These young women were reticent to talk to the police, but when they did interview them and got them talking, they realized that Carol Ann had used some kind of mesmerism to convince these young women that she was going to religiously purify them. She was regularly beating and starving them in order to purify them. And she was making them go to work and then taking their paychecks. And she had told them not to contact their parents because their parents just weren't part of this new religious movement. So they couldn't contact their family. And yet Carol Ann was contacting their parents, asking them to send money every week for a private nurse because the girls had some mental illness issues, according to Carol Ann. And so this kind of, this kind of threw a little light on some incidents that had happened a year or two before when Carol Ann's husband unexpectedly, for no reason, shot himself in the head and she collected on his life insurance at that point and kept living in the house. And then not long after that, her maid walked from her front door down the front steps directly into traffic and was killed by an automobile for no apparent reason, very calmly. And she collected the insurance on that one too. This fraudster went to jail for one year. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) This is 1944. I don't know why they couldn't have put her away. They never really cited her on on the the fraud charges. Um, It was actually mail fraud for getting money from the girl's father for the nurse. That's how they always do it. It's always mail fraud. Yeah. Yeah. That's an easy one, I guess. Easy to turn over. But I mean, these poor girls had been living in her basement, being beaten and starved and convinced that they were going to get a big payout in heaven for four years. Four years. And the police found books about mesmerism and handwritten notes about witchcraft, spells, magic, and how to control people when they searched the house. And this is the front view of my office. So it was just two women? It was two, two, two women, and there was a serving boy that nobody really knows too much about. Okay. Um, and then her daughter, the dog, Bon Bon. They did exhume Bon Bon from Oh, so the it was Bon Bon that had died. Yeah. Did she collect insurance money on Bon Bon? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's harder sure to get an insurance policy that. for a dog, but she did get the ration books for her daughter, Bonnie. <laughs> So what's the name of this house now? I'm sure it has some kind of name. This house stood for many years after this. It actually, I believe, stood completely empty and abandoned for 30 years before it was torn down. And it was known as the Hex House because, of course, everybody believed that these young women had been hexed because Mm -hmm. of the books and writings about witchcraft and the way that they seemed to live in 
you know, destitute squalor and enjoy it, you know, willfully. Um, this was a very, very popular Halloween attraction, unfortunately, before I was born. Um, <laughs> it would have been torn down right during the year my parents were moving to Oklahoma. So they never would have gotten to see it, unfortunately. But, you know, it was the haunted house of the neighborhood. Kids would break in for Halloween and probably do nefarious things there, like use Ouija boards and try and hold seances and stuff. They paved it Key over. Maybe. Probably. Sorry. I mean, it's an abandoned house from the 1940s, so probably. Um, so they paved it over in 1975, and it became property of the Actar Shrine. And they created just a parking lot. People park there now for 4th of July. Um, sometimes people report that their cars turn on by themselves while they're parked on that parking lot. And oftentimes they report that their car is actually out of the parking lot and parked on the street when they what? return to their car. Now, keep in mind, this 4th of July at the river in Oklahoma, there's lots of drinking. <laughs> they probably shouldn't be able to find their car when they're done. But so <laughs> they do say the basement of the house was never destroyed or filled in. It's still there underneath that parking lot. And indeed, when you look across the street to the parking lot, it's elevated about four feet up off the ground. And there's a set of house steps with metal handrails that were popular in building at the time in Tulsa going up to that parking lot. See, I want to know if there were any women before these that may have gone disappearing or something. Right? I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, especially if they never destroyed the basement. It makes you wonder what's in it. Four years, four years these women lived in her basement and were undetected. Yeah. They were going to work every day. What? They were going to work in these threadbare clothes. They weren't allowed to wear cosmetics. Police reports said that she had, an, that Carol Ann had enough cosmetics to stock a drugstore. They weren't allowed to wear any. They weren't allowed to wear nice clothes. They were going in the same dress every day to work for four years, handing over their paycheck to Carol Ann. Willfully. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. There sounds like there may have been some blackmail involved on that. Maybe. I wonder what was going on. <laughs> well, thanks, Diana. I, You know, you've talked about the Hex House and how you had a uh, business across the street from it for years. I never actually knew what happened there. Sounds well, fortunately, ominous. Fortunately, the mirrors worked, so feng shui was okay, great good. after that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yes. That is a good, true representation of your show. So if you guys are listening out there and you like this, go subscribe to Homespun Haints today. I promise you, you will enjoy the three seasons that are out there right now. Thank you. I want to say, too, I thought this was this was funny, Becky, that you chose Rotherwood Mansion because we started a YouTube uh, video series. So we do the audio from that as a little extra episode every week called uh, Hibbley Dead Time Stories. And then that's our YouTube channel. And the very first episode we did was on Rotherwood Mansion. So, Oh, I hope I didn't repeat too much stuff then. No, no. It, everybody's got a different way of telling stories. How the heck we, uh, but I like that story for the same reason that you said that not very many people knew it. So, uh, you know, but no, we, we loved it. And, and like I said, we, we tell it a little bit different because that's a little more of a uh, polished uh, scripted episode than what we normally do. And, uh, but I thought it was cool because that's the other than us telling that story, it's the first time I've ever heard anybody mention it. Uh, so I thought that was oh, really cool. Cool. 
cool. <laughs> Maybe we will be on the map one day after all. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I love Kingsport. I've been to Kingsport a few times and, uh, oh, so it's really cool. Not, not too oh, far from, from, from us, but all right, ladies, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Uh, Diana, tell everybody how they can find Homespun Haints on uh, for the podcast and for on social media. Oh, literally anywhere. So you can link to all of our social accounts and all of our episodes at our website, homespunhaints.com. Um, also, if you search Instagram for Homespun, at Homespun Haints, Facebook at Homespun Haints. Uh, we've got a Twitter at Homespun Haints. We've got a YouTube that's not titled so just go to our website and click on it and please subscribe so we can get up to a thousand subscribers so we can actually have a title at homespun haints because we like to brand <laughs> but um yeah and becky any pinterest. others to add oh yeah we pinterest. are on pinterest yeah we I do forgetting some pinterest. of our time lapse videos on pinterest so that's also at homespun haints awesome thank you so much for coming on we we really enjoy the show love love listening to it and uh, I'm very excited that I got an opportunity to talk to you too. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. This was wonderful. We really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. They are so much fun to listen to. <laughs> that they are. I'm glad to have them on the show. Yeah, you guys uh, go check them out. Make sure you leave a review for them and tell them that Hillbilly Horror Stories told you about them because we like to see that our the podcast that we send you guys to, we like for, for them to be able to see that they got some kind of, you know, support. Support. Mm. Yeah, yeah from, absolutely. From our show. Of course. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. We love you, and we will be talking to you very soon. All right, guys. Y'all have a blessed week. <laughs>